0: Hi, I'm Jamie Winker. Hi, I'm Dick Johnson. Hi, I'm Garth Tanner. You're listening to the V8 V8 Insiders.
1: Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Ravel. The
0: teams are in the US, and they're ready to go racing. Well, this is one of the most
2: exciting events that I can remember. But what will they do afterwards? Well, a lot of guys are going to Indy 500 and the good guys are going to Vegas. So uh, it... We'll find out today as the
0: red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders.
1: You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing. V8 Supercars. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Hi,
0: this is Will Davison from the Pepsi Max crew for performance racing and you are listening to the V8 Insiders. V8 Supercars have appointed James Warburton as their Chief Executive Officer from June 1. Warburton takes over the V8 Supercars after key roles in the media, marketing and advertising sectors, replacing David Malone, who stepped aside last month. Warburton helped revive the fortunes of the Seven Network, promoted to Chief Sales Officer in 2008. He controversially left the network in early 2012 to run Network 10, before splitting with the network in February this year. Warburton will be expected to manage the next TV media rights deal, which will need to get started in 2014 and will also provide the series a much needed leadership in the wake of Tony Cochrane's departure as chairman and the sudden passing of James Strong. The teams have been releasing their Austin liveries this week, with HRT going all Aussie, waving the flag on the roof and rear panels. Erebus have gone with a star-spangled design, whilst Russell Ingalls car is looking more like his former teammate Stanley Tools NASCAR than his regular super-cheap auto racing 66. Whilst Jonathan Webb will run the export livery of his major sponsor, Darryl Lee. Ford Performance Racing has gained the support of the Austin Convention and Visitors Bureau. Although Tim Edwards was playing coy when I asked him about what paintwork might be on the car. What about going to Austin? Is there a livery, a US livery that you're going to roll out? No idea. Todd and Rick Kelly have visited their home of their sponsor, Jack Daniels, this week, visiting the small town of Lynchburg, Tennessee.
2: This day and age, everything's in mega factories, huge stainless steel tanks, production lines, robots, and you come here and it's dead set like stepping back in time.
0: Rick Kelly talked about going to America and the fact that he's not over there permanently.
2: There is a lot of great events on our calendar, but personally I've always wanted to race in North America. I flew over there in 2007 um, whilst we're still leading the championship to try and um, make a career shift, to be honest, into NASCAR, and uh, it wasn't spoken about too much, but um, you know, after meeting a lot of teams, the opportunities over there were were pretty thin compared to what I had going on here in Australia. So we, you know, we decided to um, to focus on what we had here. And um, ever since then, I'd always been looking at one-off events, and uh, obviously starting our own team. The focus soon shifted 110 to to making this work. So. It's a it's a dream come true to go over there and, and race in North America and in particular in our own cars. Kevin Fitzsimmons from
0: Dunlop talked about the logistics of getting all the tyres and the equipment over to the United States. I asked him, was it easier to go to the US than it was to Abu Dhabi, Bahrain, or even New Zealand?
2: Well, up until last week, it was looking pretty good, and then we found out that there's two towns in the US with the same zip code uh, on the way bill, so that was uh, rather interesting. We could have ended up with stuff going the wrong direction, so uh, we got that sorted pretty quick. But, um, no, in in general, uh, not a massive difference, just a longer lead time, because you um, head to LA with the sea freight and then rail freight them into Austin, Um, so there's, there's lots of different... Um, Trans ships, you want to call them, if you if that's, you know, sort of with um, one shipment from Australia of a 40 foot container with wet weather tyres and the equipment in it, and then uh, two 40 footers out of Japan with the dry tyres. So, um, you know, we just had to sort of, uh, you know, make sure we knew what the lead times were and, and cover the bases and then. You know, go a fortnight earlier just to make sure everything's 100% alright so um, had we had that little hiccup then the fortnight would have been handy but as it is everything's there, it's unloaded in the garages uh, we arrive off there next Monday night um, into the track Tuesday and uh, away we go again. So before we know it, we'll be uh, packing up. You know, so uh, really looking forward to it. That's uh, something that's uh, been a bit of a dream to do. To do that, but their racing seasons always clash with us. So I'm lucky enough to stay on and go to Charlotte the week after for the Coca-Cola 600 NASCAR race, which uh, very much looking forward to. So um, a lot of guys are going to Indy 500, and the good guys are going to Vegas. So uh, it's going to be a great trip. We're really looking forward to it, and I'm glad the calendar is the way it is that we've got a bit of a break between now and Darwin. Mm.
0: Of course, there's a lot of freight to be moved, and Dunlop is actually helping the teams to make their move over to the USA.
2: Yeah, we do all sorts of strange things, which uh, people probably unaware of. But there's a lot of stuff you can't fly in aeroplanes. You know, with batteries and magnets and uh, coolant oils, resins, uh, all their carbon fibre kits. Uh, and everything, so uh, all their non-flyable items we actually put in uh, home brew kit barrels, so 60 litre barrels and uh, screw the lid, airtight lid on them nice and tight and drop them down inside the tyres as we load all the wet weather stuff and the equipment from here, so it doesn't take up any volume in the container as such because it's inside the, the dead hole where the wheel would normally go and um, it saves another 20 foot container of uh, equipment running back and forth, all the teams purchasing stuff over there, so just one of those little things that we work in together with and uh, make it happen, you know, so we works pretty good. What happens with the old tyres when they're over in America? Do you have to bring them back to be disposed? Yeah, we bring them back because the teams um, actually use them for um, their own testing, so it's part of their tyre bank. Uh, I ship everything around, whether, whether we're going to the Middle East, uh, New Zealand or the US on um, on a carne, so everything we import we've got to export and that way you don't pay the duties and taxes and everything, so it costs you a lot in freight um, but uh, you know you pay on invoice value for all your import duties and stuff like that and then you've got to play the Disposal fees and everything, and it's uh, uh, yeah, it's horrendous. So um, now we just uh, bring them back, and uh, the teams can use them. So at this stage, their to be back here on the 29th of June. So um, uh, the teams will have uh, some of that gear for Townsville, all being well, if we get them out of uh, quarantine quick enough. So um, uh, have some hard tyres up there for practice. Obviously,
0: with uh, Australian and American regulations for uh, for soil and uh, and for animal products and things like that cars going off the track get themselves into dirt how do you clean an old tyre
2: yeah um you do have that issue uh we used to have it especially at hamilton when we raced there and everything with the leaves from the trees you know racing there in in uh in autumn um you know had its challenges sort of thing with leaves getting into the tyres especially on the cool down laps i used to ask the guys to go along and remind them all before the start of the last race buzz the tyres on the way in and everything so everything so you know uh they're all paranoid about getting fined for breaking traction sort of thing, so you've got to be careful. But, yeah, we used to burn it off with a heat gun, uh, the leaves. Um, with the Pukakoe situation and everything else like that, we're lucky enough we hit it with um, a steam cleaner, a high-pressure wash and everything, and washes the dirt off, and then it doesn't hurt the rubber at all. So just uh, give them a bit of a clean-up, dry them off, and uh, strip them off the wheels and chuck them in the container and ship them out. And interestingly enough, you're taking all your tyre-changing equipment not going to rely on local stuff that might be available? Yeah, you know, we had the option because um, uh, many people may not know that uh, Goodyear America actually own us as far as... uh, uh, they're our parent company and um, we just run under the Dunlop brand here but uh, they do have equipment available but it's just nice to go with gear that you know and everything's right, it's a turnkey operation and everything, you don't get there and find out that the spindle height's not the right height or something other than you've got a major drama on your sleeve and you're 5,000 miles from home so that's a, that's a drama but uh, in general um, it's, no, it's no problem we just uh, throw our gear in there I've got several kits of gear now sort of thing, we just uh, have stuff coming back from New Zealand at the moment, I've already got things in Texas and we're over here in Perth so I mean it's uh, yeah, you sort of uh, leapfrogging you around a bit but uh, it's all part and parcel of the job and with Goodyear being an original manufacturer equipment
0: on many cars particularly over in the US was there any talk about maybe branding some of the tyres on, on the cars to hit that market as well
2: yeah it was talked about um, we seriously talked about that uh, when we raced in Shanghai uh, a few years back and everything else like that about branding the Goodyear up there but it's uh, um it's a big exercise to do that and everything, so uh, it's that type of thing. We just, just sort of talked about it, and luckily put it in the too hard basket because um, yeah, it, it's, it just throws all sorts of challenges up, you know, with uniforms and everything else. It's pretty expensive, but hey, never say never. You never know what might happen next year.
0: Well, the thing is, if NASCAR was getting upset that the Holden was badged to Chevy. You don't think
2: they'd be too happy if you started badging your tyres, could you? Exactly right. That's 100% correct.
0: Finally, the latest edition of VNX Magazine is now available with the magazine undergoing its biggest makeover in 13 years. Launching a new look and a complete redesign. This issue looks at Ford's future, their history and relationship with Dick Johnson Racing. Shane Van Gisbergen, Greg Murphy, and Russell Ingall all talk about their 2013s. The digital version is now available for iPad through the MagShop app, whilst next week v 8 Magazine will be online for Android and other tablet forms via Magster. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders. After the break, Chris Jewell and William Dale will join me to preview Austin and look at the new man at the top of the V8 Supercar Organisation. I hope you'll stay with us.
1: News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders You've taken the V8 to the races you watch the action on TV Now read about them in V8X Magazine V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing V8 Supercars showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Craig Lance. You're listening to V8
0: Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us, the voice that the V8 Supercar is about to wind his way over to the United States, and Chris, Jewell, uh, by the time people hear this, you're probably on a flight.
3: Yeah, that'll make sense. Um, good to chat to you. Looking forward to the weekend ahead. Uh, something a little bit different. First time to the United States of V8 supercars, so uh, yeah, land of opportunity. And uh, in some ways, we're really not really quite sure what to expect.
0: Mm. And for those of you who uh, can't make it over to Austin, William Dale from Speed TV, speedtv.com au is also able to tell us that it'll be in high definition on speed on what seven o'clock each night
4: seven p.m. Eastern Standard Time Sunday and Monday evenings.
0: Well, it's great to have you on the show as well. And uh, guys, <laughs> I guess going to America, Chris. First of all, you've done a number of overseas trips. Has this trip, do you think, got more excitement and more buzz than any of the previous ones?
3: Oh, I think it has. Um, no one had a clue what to expect when we went to Shanghai for the first time, and Bahrain was obviously equally different, but at least we're all speaking the same language, and uh, we all love our motor racing, and you know, we're in a part of the world where beer and beefsteak works pretty well as well. So, yeah, look, I'm, I'm enthusiastic about it, and I guess in some ways it hasn't got the cultural uh, intrigue that some of the places we previously had visited, but I think that uh, in some ways there are many other, you know, areas of attraction as far as the adjoining regions and some of the things that are actually at your disposal. It's a pretty pretty funky place, Austin. It's uh, architecturally you know, very different. It's uh, it's a massive place of music and uh, and bars and uh, it only has a population the size of Adelaide, so hopefully it'll be easy to get around. But no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And then the track, it's are an altogether another thing as well, isn't it? It's really only been used two or three times in mainstream motorsport activity. So... We'll be the ones that are uh, having our baptism on the 20-corner uh, complex, and, yeah, I'm just looking forward to going there and absorbing it and immersing myself in it. And
0: William, of course, having a few cultural similarities doesn't necessarily guarantee a big crowd.
4: Well, no, that's true, but equally, this they still managed to hold an F1 event there. F1, of course, hasn't exactly been great at making its mark in the US, and they drew a huge crowd over three days, so there's no real reason that... V8s can't make an impact in there and draw a reasonably decent crowd.
0: Mm, I guess Chris Oconomacki summed up the American crowds. He said, everyone wants to go and see the US Masters once, everyone wants to go and see a Super Bowl once, everyone wants to see a Formula One race once. He said that to me when they had their first race in Indy, which was a sellout, and of course the crowds declined over the next five to seven years. Is that the case with Austin? Do they have to just, just Formula One have to just keep moving every three or four years to keep the american interest and to get a different base because that's the incredible thing chris isn't it there are yeah, so many right. people there
1: yeah
3: you're right i mean it's plenty of money there so they certainly afford to pursue their chosen vocations And if motorsports are high on the hit list then there won't be any worries about how much it might cost to go to the event but yeah you're right you know formula one breaks new ground every time it goes to somewhere for the first time and then it wanes over time but uh, look, I, I think we'll have a much healthier crowd than what we've seen in days gone by with, you know, the much criticised and highly publicised uh, vacant seats at places like Yas Marina and Bahrain. I think it will it will certainly be a, a healthy participative audience, but um, I think they're probably more indoctrinated into the round-and-round round, uh, psyche rather than the road course psyche. But hopefully the pre-event publicity has been strong. I'm still concerned that... You know, we haven't got any big-name American drivers there. Even if they're there for two hours doing a a lap dash against the clock versus, you know, Marcus Ambrose or something, uh, there'd be a little bit more reason people get excited about it. But, look, we might be surprised when we get there, but at this point in time, it looks like it's going to be a full Australian show. Mm.
0: And, William, it's incredible to think we're going halfway around the world and we've got one race. It's one of only two races off Australian soil when... Three, four, five years ago, they were talking about five to seven races overseas every year. Well,
4: I guess that's the thing with international expansion: we have to find the right places to expand to. As we've been through before, China, well, that was a failed experiment. Although it's possible that that could work at a different venue with different promoters. Bahrain, not exactly known or renowned for having lovers of motorsport. Same with, same with Abu Dhabi. Austin could work, though. I mean, it's a very open-minded community. If you're going to go anywhere in the US, while Austin's probably not a sort of mecca for road racing, equally, it's not somewhere that is renowned for lovers of Oval Track or NASCAR. I mean, the nearest tracks at Fort Fort Worth, it was, I think, the late 90s before Texas had a regular round of NASCAR Sprint Cup Series, or Winston Cup as it was back then. They They might be onto something here. This might actually in four, four or five days' time, this we, it might be a masterstroke. We might be sitting here discussing the most successful international race V8 supercars has ever held.
0: Mm. It's a difficult one, though, isn't it? Because you're taking it so far away from your home base. And, William, whenever you, you, know, you say, we might be talking about being a huge success, but how do we measure that success? Do we measure it by who's watching back in Australia? Do we measure it by who, how many bums are on seats?
4: If they wanted to wanted to measure it by success, by who's watching back in Australia, it probably should have had just had around here, full stop. But I think bums on seats, as you say, is probably probably a solid indicator. There'll be there'll be a number of indicators, a number of things to look at to deem this a success. Not all of them will be able to be measured at the end of the first year, the event's first year. That, there'll be things you measure down the track. For instance, how many people return next year. I think that'll be a key indicator. That, that obviously will be a key indicator as to the success of the event going forward.
0: Mm. Chris, uh, the second year. Well, <laughs> we're not going to really worry about that too much now, are we? Or do you think v Supercars have to do a lot of work to make sure a second year happens?
3: No, I don't think so. I really don't. I think uh, they've been embraced um, by people with you know like-minded attitude, and you know the circuit is a, it's a premier facility. I think that. Um, yeah, we'll be going back there, uh, certainly for the foreseeable future, I have no doubt whatsoever. And the fact that we don't have to worry about dodging bullets being co-aligned with, you know, a Formula One event is obviously going to allow us to have greater freedoms to do the things that we need to do. The only thing that's probably a little bit of a concern is the telecast times back into Australia are at a pretty weird time for people who are lovers of motorsport.
0: No, this is where William gets to put the plug in again.
3: <laughs> Indeed.
4: If you, want, if you would like to watch it at a comfortable hour of an evening after you finish the day at work... Tune into Speed TV at 7pm Sunday and Monday. Mm.
0: Now, the new track, of course, is a Formula One built and designed track, but we've seen, Chris, when the V8s have gone to tracks like that before, they've not been afraid to go five wide down the straight and three wide into the corner. So we're anticipating that it'll be a very raceable track for the current generation of cars.
3: It certainly looks quite fiddly in some areas, um, and and then other parts look like they've got quite good rhythm to them. But fundamentally, the place is so wide. Uh, everywhere you go, there's just tons of room. There's undulation changes, and you know, dirty offline in places you wouldn't expect there to be. So you're right. I think there'll be every opportunity early in the race, at least, for drivers to be uh, warring side by side as well. I, the biggest concern I've I've got is it's a track that doesn't punish mistakes and. You know, that can lead to people doing all sorts of different things to to find an advantage. But I think it will be a good track. It's probably still a little big. I mean, the bull rings of Barbagallo and Pukekohe show V8 supercars in a totally different light. So if we're expecting to see a repeat of that sort of racing, I don't think it will be quite the same. But you're right, uh, there'll be enough time and enough space for people to venture into all sorts of different areas on the circuit. And for that reason, um, I think we can be thankful. Fortunately, we're not using the full Grand Prix circuit because it just would have been too big, would have been dwarfed by it in many ways but I do not buy into this Bathurst of the United States stuff, I think that's rubbish um, Yeah, it's got a 30 metre change in elevation going up into Turn 1 but you just can't compare Mount Panorama and the concrete line, top of the hill up there and the trees and the, and the topography that you've got you know, with, uh, with a circuit that's been you know, another one of the Herman Tilke penmanship
0: mm. Well, we need to take a break here on the Vat Insiders, plenty more when we return
1: you've taken the v8 to the races you watch the action on tv now read about them in v8x magazine v8x magazine dedicated to just one thing v8 supercars Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Hi,
0: hi, I'm Alexandre Prema from the Fujitsu JRM team and you are listening to the V8 Insider. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders, Chris Jewell and uh, William Dale. Joining me, Craig Revell. Guys, well, one of the interesting stories, whilst we've all been focused in on what's going on in Austin, and, and for some of us, trying to get our visas and everything else ready whilst we're there, Vought Supercars have quickly moved to fill the, uh, the void uh, left by... Mr Malone, as he vacates the CEO position, Chris, with uh, James Warburton coming to join the team. And interestingly enough, a few weeks ago, of course, Fogues had a uh, a red-hot go um, saying why they shouldn't employ James Warburton, but perhaps the die was already cast at that stage.
3: Yeah, I'm sure it was. Um, look, it's not a job that, um, that a lot of people would have a great Level of interest in uh, in assuming that role in because uh, you know no one's lasted there very long whatsoever and the pressure is genuinely on so it's a it's a tough gig that he's moving into but he's certainly well credentialed and um, yes there's been you know some some discussion about his departure from both seven and ten in recent times but the fact of the matter is he is a diehard motorsport fan and he does uh, he does love the V8 Supercar community and, and the product that we have at our disposal but. Gee, it's a long job, and if he was to last the amount of time that he's going to be needed to make a difference, then I think only then can we actually judge whether or not he's the right applicant for the job. The fact is, he's well enough credentialed, but if he's only going to be another six-month-to-a-year proposition, I just can't see it being a good choice. So let's hope that the deal was done early enough and for a long... Tenure ship because we need someone there for three to five years, just as we had when Wayne Caddock was, you know, the principal in chief so many years ago.
0: Mm, but it was a, a real shield and foil type approach back then, wasn't it, William? Where you had Caddock and you had uh, Cochrane, and each knew how to play on the strengths of the others, and each knew their role uh, and how they were going to pursue the uh, outcomes that they, uh, had, well, they mutually had to achieve. Was well,
4: this is true. They were both people who well and truly knew the ins and the outs of the motor racing business. Well, perhaps not in Cochrane's case when he first started out. But probably the big advantage that James Warburton will have is, as, as you said, he is a die-hard motorsports fan. Having that passion will certainly at least give him the opportunity to... Well, not the opportunity, but it will encourage him to sort of embed himself in the business and start to learn every facet of it so that hopefully he'll make the right sort of decisions and le- take the category forward in the way that it needs to go to develop. Did David Malone have that? Well, he's not in the job anymore, is he?
0: Mm, it's, it's, it, it is a shame because you have to wonder, uh, uh, William, what does it do to your CV when you go into a, a high-profile sporting role and you're out of it? in a considerably shorter time than you're expected to be there on top of the fact that you were seen to be appointed for one particular role which didn't go as well as anticipated
4: No absolutely well you have to look at for instance the example of Randy Randy Bernard over in the US with IndyCar now if any if any series has an even more um heck, what's the best way of putting it
3: checkered pass and
4: even Yes, exactly, it's the the ours. it's IndyCar And Randy did uh, publicly a very solid job But in terms of appeasing the public and keeping them on side Largely through being very transparent to all the fans As to what he was doing to try and get the series on track So when he was ousted at the end of last year That came as a huge shock Now we don't know we don't know for certain all the ramifications behind why Malone, exactly why Malone was hired or why he's now departed the position and I guess that's one of the things that hopefully James Warburton could possibly bring to the position a bit more transparency and openness as to the direction he'd like to take the series.
0: Mm. Certainly the series, Chris, and and the management have been in such a difficult position. The transfer to Archer hasn't been completed yet it would, it is safe to say and i know you're in a difficult position because you are uh, working with the head supercar so i don't want to get you in trouble there but it's um it, it's still in that transition phase it's not completely integrated its whole new structure and its new design
3: no you're right it's so uh, there is um you know some work still to be done in that regard and you know i think that clearly they they have a charter of what they expect. The job's not a job that's ever advertised. It's one where we actually go to the market and headhunt the right person or in fact uh, receive overtures from uh, the right person. So you can only say that uh, you know, the fundamentals of, and the background of uh, what James has is something that's attracted Archer. Uh, he will have to have sold himself into the job and will have to bring the skill set he's required to actually close out all of the things that are still left in abeyance and there's a lot still to be done. Um, you know, in many different areas so it's, uh, it's going to be interesting times and I would expect that there's probably likely to be some changes in the senior personnel uh, as far as the board's construction is concerned uh, sometime between now and the end of the year because if he's not been given the freedom autonomy and opportunity to make those changes then we've just got another person who's not going to be able to achieve
0: what we hope they can mm. one thing's for sure we'll see a new logo a new mission and a new vision statement because that's what happens when there's a new ceo Goes the uh the, the car of the future chassis it's coming for a lot of conversation and about uh, one how expensive or how cheap it is to build but interestingly enough the uh following the incident of scott mclaughlin at new zealand where he glanced the wall and found they couldn't continue because it had bent the chassis rails. It's interesting to see now that they're trying to change the car to make it cheaper and quicker to repair. Chris, weren't we going to a new generation car to be cheaper to build and easier for the teams to repair?
3: That was the whole ethos, wasn't it? You know, have two or three of these sitting as spares back in your race shop when we're racing 20 times a year and sometimes back-to-back, which you have already done once this year with. Simmons Plains and Pukekohe, and we won't do later in the year as was originally intended with the uh, the double header of Gold Coast and what was the Abu Dhabi uh, race. So you're right; it's, it's alarming. And I've spoken to two or three team principals who can remain nameless, who are very much up in arms about the exorbitant cost of one the bill, which is something like 65% more expensive than what people had envisaged, or certainly what had been forecast. And of course, now the repair prices for the car. It's not just. The accident uh, that Scott McLaughlin had at Scott Pye's crash at Simmons Plains, which was obviously, you know, significant damage for that car. The one on the Saturday at Barber Gallo still amounted to be many tens of thousands of dollars. And uh, other cars have made fairly heavy contact, include Alex Davison's car back at the Clipsal 500 event. And it is a significantly more expensive proposition. And it's coming in for quite a lot of criticism from a lot of people who believe that... Um, the design now needs to be retrofitted with specifications of engineering that should have been foreseen in the first place. Mm. Not my words, theirs. Yes. But it's a concern.
0: And, and William, that's the critical thing. When Chris is saying sixty five percent dearer to build this car than the last car, they were supposed to save fifty, so that means they've got a up in cost of building fifteen percent so far.
4: Exactly. You've got you've got to wonder how having not been have naturally not having been privy to the process of design and construction and the creation of the regulations, you've got to wonder, from the casual fan's perspective, how on earth this has been allowed to happen? I mean, there are several things, not just, not just the instance we're talking about, but things, I know when we turned up at Adelaide, discussion of things like air conditioners, an air conditioning system could quite easily have been designed into the regulations for the car of the future, and it, and it wasn't. And I'm sure there are several other key things or niceties that we'll find over the next 12, eighteen months that could easily have been designed into the cars of the future that haven't been. Mm. And and there was such a long development process with, you know, the people that were involved know what they're doing. Um, It's honestly quite surprising that things like this weren't thought of.
3: Mm.
0: It's going to be interesting to see how the new generation car Evolves over the years but uh, at the moment a lot of people are left scratching their head and a lot of people are looking at bank balances Chris and just going <laughs> where's these where the next lot of sponsors come from because we need to get them mid-season not in the next season
3: yeah and the problem is the you know the economy is tough enough as it is, and sponsors rarely will be able to just all of a sudden stump up an increase in their investment relevant to the increase in competition, be it for testing, racing, componentry, new cars, etc. Driver salaries inclusive. So I think we're on the cusp and a bit of a fork in the road of a lot of that being revisited. I mean, you know, you look at the very highly paid drivers now in the ranks, and some of them are getting a bit on in their years, and you can see quite soon that if you can replace you know those drivers earning the high five, six, seven hundred thousand salaries if all of a sudden you get a young guy earning one hundred thousand dollars doing similar sort of job, you save yourself six hundred thousand dollars that you can put into your budget and you haven 't actually relinquished any signage or any sponsorship benefits so Yeah, it is a real challenge at the moment for the teams commercially and and even the teams that are going quite competitively at the front, uh, Brad Jones Racing included, I know they're hurting at the moment. They are genuinely hurting and hoping to use their level of success to springboard their way into getting greater income from the sponsoring group they've currently got and some new sponsors to the ranks. But sponsors are smarter than that. They don't just all of a sudden say, OK, it's costing you more money to go racing. Here's a commensurate increase. Uh, It doesn't happen like that at all.
0: Mm. Yeah, it is going to be an interesting time ahead. So, Chris Jewell... Who do you think's going to come to grips with the Circuit of the Americas first and eventually take out wins? Now, this is one of the crazy, impossible things. We've got four races, so tell me who's going to do the best over the weekend.
3: I think you'll see Ford Performance Racing very well suited to the configuration, the, the surface... Uh, the distance of the races. I think the pit stops play into the hands of Red Bull Racing more than anyone because their car's very quick over a, a short distance. You've seen that in the last 10 laps after safety cars uh, in the final race at Barba Gallo where they're the only teams in the high 56s everyone else in the mid 57s. So I think you'll find that um, the pit stops probably help them a little bit, but I'd be expecting to see full performance racing very well suited to that circuit.
0: Mm, what about you, William? What's your thoughts? Uh,
3: personally, I
4: just find it very hard to go past... Jamie Wincup, the whole Red Bull racing combination. They've had such a strong track record of success heading in overseas races, never mind heading to new overseas venues. I mean, the last time... The last, I, I was trawling through the stats the other day. The last time V8 Supercars went to an all-new venue... Or V8 Supercars team went to an all-new venue with all-new cars was Team Vodafone when they made the big switch from Ford to Holden. And Jamie Wincup won both races at a brand-new circuit. So... um. They're a team that has the runs on the board and they're very smart about the way they go motor racing. I'd expect, to them, I'd expect them to be fully prepared hmm. for the, the rigours of the new circuit and to be on the pace as soon as they roll the car out
3: of pit lane. Yeah, you're right. Wincup's won 16 of the, of the 24 races that's been held outside of Australia from Bahrain in 2008 onwards. So you won't get particularly good odds on that, will you? <laughs> um, no. So He really has been unbelievably dominant. He's also taking nine of the 21 pole positions in the same time frame. So the shortest-priced favourite will certainly be Jamie Wincup. Despite their f- performance at Barber Gallo, there's still something that's not uh, giving me the belief that they are absolutely on top of their car. And why won't Brad Jones Racing continue to go well as well? They've been good at every single event they've been to, regardless of configuration.
0: Yep, I'm certainly of the opinion that it'll be a, one of the uh, two front running BJ, BJR cars there that over the weekend will average the best finishes but uh, gee guys we've got to wrap it up there thanks very much for your time chris i hope you have a safe flight and uh, look forward to seeing you there in austin yep cheers thanks very much uh, to william dale all the best with uh, another busy weekend for you covering just about everything that moves on wheels over the course of the weekend at speed
4: Thanks, guys. I'll try and spot you
0: on the TV in the early hours over the weekend. <laughs> the Munro Shock Absorber's white flag lap is up next here on the V8 Insiders.
1: To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Jonathan Webb from Techno Auto Sports. And you're listening to V8 Insiders. On this
0: week's White Flag Lab, brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers, we find out what some of V8 pit Lane is doing after the Austin race. First up, team principal of Ford Performance Racing, Tim Edwards.
3: Thunder Valley, which is just near Denver, Colorado, actually. Uh, my sons are uh, mad about motocross, so where I'm... Um... We're going to see Chad Reed and etc. Race at the second round of the AMA. Dean Fiore. going to New York with the family for for eight or nine days, so it should be good. Tony Dalberto.
0: I'm going to Indy. I'm doing Miami, then Indy, and LA and Vegas.
4: So yeah, have a little bit of a holiday.
0: Jonathan Webb. At the moment, I actually haven't booked
1: anything. I'm there for the whole week after. I haven't booked flights, accommodation cars, nothing. I'm just going to turn up and see what I can get myself to.
0: Youngster Chas Monster. Well, I was kind of called up a bit late, so,
4: you know, I, I don't have that much money in the bank to to be planning any extra weeks over there or anything. So hopefully, I'm good enough this year to, to you know, have a. Um, this year to get another drive next year to, you know, plan something over there a bit next year.
0: And Monaco resident. Maro Inkle. I'm actually going to go to the Monaco Grand Prix, so I'm going to go home. Um, I'll go, I'll be going home after this round uh, for
4: five days. Fly, fly to the US from from Monaco, and uh, and then after the US straight back as it's obviously quite a big week at home, and uh, and I enjoy seeing my friends and family um, back home who I haven't seen for for yeah almost five months now.
0: My thanks to all the drivers. There is the chicken flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. Till next time round. Keep smiling and bye for now.
1: Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.